the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 32, recorded Tuesday, December 2nd, 2014. Lumen This is EdTech, the uh, monthly podcast put on you by the fine folks at AV Nation, looking at the education space for AV. My name is Tim Mulberry. I'm your host. With us is Ernie. Uh, Ernie Bailey is from UAMS in beautiful Little Rock, Arkansas. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Tim. Uh, also with us is Greg Brown from UCLA. Hello, sir. Hello, guys. Hi, Tim. Where where we have um, that that. That strange thing, what what is it called, where when water comes down from the sky? Oh, we we haven't had it since I think they said February, uh, of of la- of this year. Well, it's so, not snow. Uh, really? So it's rain. It's yes, yes, rain. It's rain. That's there. what it's called. Yes, but it's probably still eighty. No, it's it's actually in the low sixties. I'm not sure we're going to survive. Greg's got his parka with him. Yeah, he does. Yes, actually, I I, I have my heavy coat behind his, me. His North Face coat, just, yeah. just in case. Yes, and mittens. Where, whereby Mike is is close to uh, another friend of mine, Heather Sidorowitz, up in up in New York. Uh, Mike Tomei is from Ithaca College. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Good. How close are you to Buffalo? By the way, I have no idea where in relation to that. I would say three or four hours. Okay, so we're right in the middle of the state. We had uh, we had Heather Sidorowitz from Southtown AV uh, on 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 our another show we do called AV Week, the mm-hmm. week of that big giant blizzard, and she had been in her house. Well, we did we do the show on Friday. She had been in her house since Monday. Yeah, uh, and it had like eighty seven inches of snow. Something we, did, <laughs> so. we got lucky. We got none of that. You so. got none of that. So well, that's yeah. the other thing is it was. She said it was like it was. They called it a a a, a blade. Of snow, yeah. right? So that it was, if you were, you know, it was a ten mile stretch, and if you were outside of that stretch, you were, you were perfectly yep. okay. So yeah, the lake effect stuff. Yeah, so, yep. gotta love that. Gotta love <laughs> Buffalo. Yeah. All right, uh, let's kick this around with. This is our, our December uh, podcast for, for this show, and uh, typically we kind of like wrap the wrap wrap the whole year together, and, and um, we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that have, have come out um, over the year, technology wise, and. and um, just that affect the 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 uh, education space, uh, but first we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the news that ha- that's happened in the last month. One is from the Boston Globe, and and Greg sent me this, and as soon as I saw it, I'm like, hmm, well that could be tricky. Uh, Harvard apparently has secretly photographed students to study attendance. Now the only issue I have with that is the secretly part. <laughs> um, yeah. Other than that, it was just fine. Yeah, other than that, it was just fine. Um, yeah, uh, Mike actually used to work for Harvard, so we're going to kick this one off with him. Sure. Um, if, I'm not going to ask what they were thinking because that's not fair because none of us work for them. But well, I, I have an idea. Yeah, shoot. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'll say it wasn't happening when I was there. Okay, um, there you go. Yeah, I've been gone for about three years. So I- Call that happening? They probably would have had me help uh, install cameras in the rooms if that was the case. But, uh, um, but when I was working there, when I first started, they were really ramping up their lecture capture program, 
Okay. And um, a lot of the faculty was concerned that students wouldn't show up if you know videos were available online. They could just watch it uh, from their dorm room and not show up. And it was funny. We, I remember a lot of classes when exams were happening or papers due, all of a sudden attendance doubles that day because everybody's showing up. So yeah. pretty funny. So that they probably that probably you know came from came from that concern that they wanted to see you know who was showing up and when and why so I don't know it's not not something that I was too surprised about I mean I I think they went about it the wrong way but it wasn't like they had uh, they were being very uh, you know devious I guess so but definitely went went about it the wrong way <laughs> all right so so let's take the, take the other side of this Greg what I mean from a none of us are lawyers I want to point that out but maybe what are some of the ramifications and and some of the issues with with doing this. I mean, like Mike said, they're already doing class capture, so there are cameras in the room. It's not like you know these students are idiots and couldn't see that, right? Well, I think I think even um, as we're seeing in some of those areas with the lecture capture, we're we're seeing just how 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 weird of a little world this is that we are in in higher ed because. Um, you know, we had it here. There, there are a lot of places where even putting in those obvious cameras for known usages, like uh, known uses, like uh, like lecture capture, is a is a big political football in some places, where you know you have to get everybody's buy-in. You have to get uh, releases if they're sh if the students are shown, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. On the flip side, there are other schools that you know for lecture capture they're just putting in the cameras and you know because we say we will have cameras hmm. um so so it's a weird little mix of of environments out there still um and in a sense i thought some of the some of the indignity was was a little bit um i i understand it but i think it was also very emblematic of just how how out of step in a way some of the little uh our, our isolated little uh higher ed world is from the rest of the world i mean if we're if if we're getting so upset about things like this you know what what about the like the the analytics we're now starting to see in digital signage where yeah. they're putting a camera and it's recording all this information you know about the the ages and the sexes of everybody that looks at the ads and their reactions and how much attention they pay you know there's a we live in a weird little world that's looking at the, this sort of thing very, very differently, and it's just as out of step with a lot of the stuff that's happening in the real world as, as a lot of people are in some ways. Well, and Ernie, here's the thing: the first thing I saw of this, I, I, I saw, I thought of when I saw this. This is the generation of the selfie for crying out loud, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> these are people who who take pictures of themselves all day long. Why? Why is this an issue? I mean, I don't think that would be an issue here on our campus if we I mean well it's not unusual to have a photographer step in the back of the room and take a picture for PR or something like that and I believe there are probably disclaimers uh, hidden in your financial agreements for the school you know if you're going to school here you you risk having your picture taken and if they're taking it for an attendance count once again I don't see a problem with it. if they're looking to see who's in class then maybe maybe that's an issue if you're trying to recognize faces. If you're counting tops of heads, I don't see an issue. Uh, on the lecture capture side, uh, as you mentioned, you know students may not be showing up, 
what we found is the tool that we use for lecture capture allows us to live stream the classes as well. Hmm. So, you know, they're getting it in real time and they're almost coming to class. They're, Tim, you've seen our cameras. There's real yeah. nice lounge furniture outside the lecture halls. And generally, at least a third of the class is out there, you know, their feet propped up, not at the lecture desk, you know, in the classroom, but they're in class. You know, they're out in the hall in a much more comfortable chair and making side remarks to the guy sitting beside them. But they're not, the instructor doesn't see them. He sees them as he walks in and out of the lecture hall. Uh, but, you know, so they're still, they're getting hit with a camera at that point. Uh, you know, if they're if they're in the classroom, and uh, I mean, Tim, you you know, what we've gone through to program our lecture capture cameras yes, here, sir. <laughs> where we have microphones every two seats on the tables. So if a student hits a microphone, they're up on the big screen, both in that classroom and possibly in a distant site as well, and they're being captured with lecture capture system. So, what's one more picture? Yeah, That's, I, you know, I my know thinking. I, I know with some of our big lectures, we, we don't live stream anything, but we record a number of uh, a number of them, particularly big lectures, and um, they started to see that in the early days that people wouldn't started showing up or showing up a whole lot less. And the thing they started announcing was, hey, you know, if if attendance really drops in this class, we will cut off the uh, the the recording of them. You know that uh, you know you're. They expect them to be in class, and you'll be in yeah. class for the most part, or or this nice recording medium will go away. Consider yourself warned. When we first started looking at lecture capture several years ago, we had that concern, uh, and I talked to uh, our counterpart at Emory, and she told me that they had they had been doing it for several years, and they had that concern uh, when they first started up. And yes, the first year they did lecture capture, attendance dropped off. After the first semester, what they started seeing was the instructors that were using lecture capture had full classrooms. They were the first ones to be have their classes filled, and the students quit scribbling down everything that was said and paid attention in class, knowing that they could go back and watch the recording. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. I like the idea of making the uh, videos available a week before an exam. Just kind of, you know, instead of that day, um, just kind of releasing all 15 of them so they can study from them but they still attend class a few classes at Harvard were doing that and had some good success doing that I like that our students complain if the lecture is not available within 10 minutes of the class being over <laughs> yeah. being rendered in multiple formats and edited right. for content and all that our ours are that way too once that genie is out of the box that they expect yeah. you know immediately it's yep. immediate yep let me ask you guys this, and, and Ernie, I want to ask the question with you first because you mentioned the fact that your students can sit there and, and stream, right? They're either right. sitting in there or sitting right outside there. When does it become, um, when do we start counting as attending if you're watching on a virtual device? Um, because, uh, and we'll correlate this to the broadcast world, right? Uh, currently, and you may not know this, if, if, you, if you watch a show live and you are a Nielsen house or, you know, one of the houses that, that uh, tribute to, you know, the number of people that are actually watching the show. If you watch it live, then you're obviously counted. If you record it and you watch it, yeah. I want to say it was within two or three days, it's still three counted. Days. 
So, so right. when does we, it? We were we were Nielsen family about a year and a half ago. Okay, so. then you know you know the deal. Yeah. So when when should it? I mean, is are we there already? Where if you're watching it virtually, that you should be counted as a, as attending? Well, uh, we're not counting attendance in a lot of our classes anymore. Some of the instructors do, and but most of them, you know, you're. It's, it's your money you're paying to learn this. You, you know, you've got to have the information to pass the test. However you learn best is up to you. That's the feeling of a lot of our faculty. That's a new, a new thought mm-hmm. coming to a lot of them, but they're agreeing to it. The ones that really want to do attendance, you know, give something, you know, give extra credit for showing up for class or for participating in class or, you know, uh, they might say, you know, if you're in class, I'm going to give you the answer to number three on the test, something like that, uh, just, you know, to uh, kind of encourage attendance. But for most of them, it's, you know, I'm providing the material. You're, you're going to need the material I'm providing to pass the test. You can get it in class. You can watch the lecture. You can read the notes, you know, or you can go find a book and try to find it yourself. But But you have to learn it somewhere. You have to learn it, yeah. Okay. It's a great, big, quickly changing, strange little corner of our world right now. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right, let's talk about a company that, well, let's be honest, Sony hasn't hit a whole lot of home runs lately. Um, They they did win the the Blu-ray battle, right? Which was a great victory, sort of. For a few minutes. Oh, yeah. For a few minutes. I just look at all the Blu-rays we're buying by the by the pounder around here, the hundreds of Blu-rays we've got stacked up, all the Blu-ray usage we've seen out in, oh, wait a second, What you said Blu-ray? I'm Blu-ray. sorry, I was mistaken for, for some technology that Hyred actually adopted. And actually, yeah. <laughs> this is a total consumer electronics part, I buy, I buy the Blu-rays now as long as they come packaged with the standard definition and uh, a download of some sort, so... Um, <laughs> We uh, we just did a whole bunch of shopping for Christmas and and got some Disney movies, you know, for the little ones and and made sure that that the ones we bought, you know, at, at least had the option to, as part of the same same uh, purchase price, you know, has has all that stuff with it. So, uh, but they are coming out with something interesting, right? Uh, this is from uh, AV forums, the Sony VPL VW three hundred ES. There will not be a test on that one. Uh, it's the first. Uh, Sony's first, at least, 4K projector um, that is in the quote-unquote affordable market. I want to say the quote-unquote affordable market. Um, Greg, I'm going to start with you on this because, of first course. of all, well, no, you're the only guy I know that, that the only, <laughs> only education place I know that has Sony's, right? Um, yes, and, yes. Yeah, one Sony a month ago, the first one in twenty years. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but you're again, you're the only person I know. Okay, well, yeah, when I, when I saw this story, I was, you know, Sony 4K video projector, great. We've we've packed two completely irrelevant things into one story. Um, I, but is I, this a big deal? I mean, is is it a big deal? First of all, to get 4K at an affordable price for for the education guys and girls. I I. It seems like more of a more of a, a resi story to me. Okay. Um, and I am completely unqualified to speak to 
the residential world. I don't even think I have a DVD player at home right now, uh, much less a Blu-ray player. <laughs> you don't um, have a DVD player? I don't. Th- I had one for a while. Do but you stream everything I, then, or you just don't? I don't watch a lot of TV. Well, there you go. I mean, I I have cable. I I have a flat. I have a forty-two inch flat screen because I won one at a at a stampede show about nice. six months ago. Yeah, yeah. So that, that I mean, kicking and screaming. I I moved into the digital television age, um, and and had to get up, get HD, you know, cable or rather UVerse. Yeah. You know, based on that. But um, this, um, I I suppose it's a good thing, and you know. I like Sony. I I've got a soft spot for you know the 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 old traditional old line companies. I don't. The I, one. Yeah, Sony, the one and only. Exactly. Uh, we could probably rabbit trail down all sorts of yes archaic uh, marketing slogans that nobody in our audience would list would remember. Um, so. Oh, you'd I, I be suppose... surprised. There's some pretty old folks that listen to us. <laughs> Well, this is, yeah, all, all seven of them, right? Yes, all seven of them. <laughs> I think we're up with the cassette tape first. Yeah. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> what, 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 we're not out on that medium? <laughs> that, well, that's we started, you know. We, we, we dumped these to, to cassettes and sent them out in Walkmans. So. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Um I suppose it's a good move. Up to see, you know, how long it is around. I'm, I'm glad to see that they, they, they haven't changed their uh, marketing strategy of completely screwy um, uh, projector model, model uh, numbers. Well, let's be uh, honest. Nobody's model number is it, that makes any sense. No, this, no. yeah, this is especially in projectors. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did, but I mean, but flat panels. At least the, the screen size is in the model number, right? Flat yeah. panels, you at least, you know, if there's an 80 in there, it's an 80 inch. It's a 60 inch. Yeah, but what a... size is a 5042 model? A what? If the model number is 5042, which is the size? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I would say a Who 50. Is that? is that Panasonic? That sounds like a Panasonic. That probably, well, not anymore. I, I don't know. I saw that one somewhere the other day, and I, I had to get my tape measure out and figure out which, which one it was. <laughs> Uh, sounds like a neat pr- projector. Good luck to them. All right. Uh, Mike, the reason I say, I, I say quote unquote uh, affordable, you were talking about nine, 9,000-ish for the lower model. Um, most education people that I deal with, $9,000 is not what they would count as affordable. No. Uh, unless you're talking about, you know, le- you know, lecture hall or, you know, uh-huh. event space type thing. When I hear affordable, I'm thinking, you know, the, the small form factor, the ones you're going to throw into classrooms. Yeah. Where does that price have to be before uh, education starts looking at 4K as a viable replacement to, to you know, 1080 or 720? If, I mean, well, th- this projector looked like it was only 1500 lumens. Yes. yes. Um, That's my problem with it. Yeah. So that, that seems uh, like residential to me. And for $9,000, too. Yeah, yeah I've, exactly. got a, I've got to stack two of them in a small classroom to get enough brightness. Yeah, yeah. You open one window, you're you're not going to see anything. I think it's you know they expect it to be in a little uh, dark living room in somebody's house, and um, but yeah, that's that's still too much for me to throw it in a room, especially because I just don't have any need at the moment for 4K projectors. But uh, but right, that's that's just too much right there. Um, yeah, hard to say what you know what we would pay for a. A 4K. I guess we'd need a lot more lumens than that in a classroom. So, 
And Ernie, you, you bring up a good point. Is is lumens more important than resolution at this point for, for classrooms? Well, uh, oh you, God, we've yes. got a, a uh, <laughs> oh God, we've yes. got lumen floor, okay? Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to go below, below 3,000, 3,500 lumens in any of my classrooms. Period. Wow, okay. Uh, you know, the size images that we're looking at uh, and, and is that what in, our people are expecting. Is that in conjunction with the size image? So your size image is, is there's a floor for that as well as for the lumens? Well, uh, you know, we we do look at uh, lumens per square foot and okay. the size of the room, the uh, ambient light that we have in the room. But, I mean, I generally buy 3,000, 3,500 lumen projectors for our small classrooms. Uh, I may run them in economy mode so it bumps it down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but I don't want less than that available to me when I'm setting up the classroom. That makes sense. Er, Ernie made a really good. Er, Ernie stumbled into a really good point there. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that 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 we should emphasize that the 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 bottom line isn't the brightness per se; it's the contrast ratio. Yes. We we, we all fight this battle, and if you. All seven of you out there listening to us, if you are fighting this battle or fight it in any way, shape, or form, get yourself the Infocom contrast ratio standard yeah. and get out there and start figuring out the contrast ratio in some of your rooms. If you have any sort of a projector brightness battle that you've got to fight, that's the way to go is get, get everybody talking contrast ratio and, and take some real honest to God measurements and, you know, point to a neat fancy document that has numbers in it and everybody will think you're smart. Works for me all the time. <laughs> I take your measurements uh, at two different times during the day. Yeah. In the morning it might look great. Sun will make its way around the building and then afternoon no one can see a thing. Yes, right. sun is something we have a terrible problem with around. <laughs> it is around all the time. We put classrooms either underground or on the inside of the building with uh, the windows in the hallways. So that makes it a little bit better. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the only thing that, to, to Greg's point, you know, uh, Infocom has done a lot of work. Um, our buddy, Mike, uh, Matt Silverman, was on uh, the standards committee that was dealing with that. And um, the one thing I'll caution is you, you're going to point to that document and it has a lot of numbers. Make certain that even though the the spec says uh, it's X contrast ratio, no. get a test one in. And make sure that it is. Um, measure it. Exactly. Light meter is not that expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Measure it because God love projector manufacturers, but one, one person's uh, even when talking about lumens, even you know, one person's three thousand lumens is another person's twenty five hundred, uh, and vice yeah. versa. So, uh, just make sure that you you get actual measurements, and most of most of them will send you um, a uh, a test or a, a demo unit, uh, unless you're Greg who works for UCLA, and you know they'll just send you one for free. Actually, uh, Stuart Film Screen, because we've bought a lot of Stuart screens because they're a few miles away. They yes sent us a light meter. You can get a you get a perfectly fine light meter for less than a hundred dollars. Absolutely, has got an excuse for not having a not having a light meter. Yeah. And the first thing you'll notice is that you know all these wonderful thousands of lumens you're getting out of these light cannons that you're buying, they're lying to yes. you. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what I'm you're saying. Not, you know, you're not getting what they're telling you you're getting. And s some are somewhat close, and others aren't very close. 
That's 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 the T- one. Toss the projector. Toss the cheap projector brand of your choice in here. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we're not talking about any anyone in particular. I mean, that there's. I mean, we could. They're like politicians. They all lie. <laughs> you know. <laughs> They all lie. Some some lie more than others. Yes. At least I've discovered. Yeah. Some some are relatively close and some are not. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's part Fire of my issue with, with as we move into lasers and other um, other light uh, engines is is trying to get to that uh, trying to get to an, an even keel or at least you know every, as long as everybody starting with zero you know then then we can all be on the same playing field but I don't think that everybody is. Um, uh, all right, this is from thejournal.com. The Internet of Things is to hit 25 billion units by the end of 2020. Uh, it's supposed to be a 260-some-odd billion-dollar industry. The reason I'm bringing that up with, this up with you guys is, is what that does to your networks and, and with your systems, right? Uh, we've talked about BYOD on this program a number of times. Uh, but, Ernie, what is that going to do to, you know, your wireless system or or your uh, wireless video system when you have a class of 30 students who all want to show their thing or all want to do, uh, you know, present from their own devices, whether that's, you know, a tablet or a cell phone or whatever the next next fancy uh, iteration of technology is going to be. Well, I've got an easy solution to that here on our campus because uh, as you know, we're a health science campus. We have a hospital attached. And there are all sorts of HIPAA rules. So you bring something in that transmits something wirelessly other than basic network, and our network people shut it down. Mm, okay. So I, I don't have that issue with my wireless <laughs> network at all. Uh, but uh, we do allow bring your own device, and uh, we have connection points where you can connect via wire. But, you know, the first thing I thought about this uh, is go back, just a few years ago, and Daylight and Draper both started putting network jacks on screens, projection screens. Yes. Yeah. And I, you know, my first thought is that's ridiculous. Why do you need a screen on a network? Well, I've got an engineer now who has actually explained it to me, and he says, you know, it's a whole lot easier to poll and say, uh, "Are you down?" to the screen than sending a down command to it uh, every time you need it to work. You know, just polling it, to see if it's okay, see if it's working. Uh, he said some of them will tell you they're jammed or whatever. So you get you do get some feedback from them. Uh, so I guess any device you hook up uh, to the network can, if, if used properly, provide some good material, uh, good information back to you. Uh, but we are running into instances now with our wireless system where, while you know we may not allow someone to have a wireless video feed to a projector. Excuse me. We do have students that are setting up uh, a hotspot in a classroom, and if we're running our high-density uh, access points, it actually interferes with the um, pattern of, of pickup for our wireless access points, and it changes uh, the dynamics of some of the wireless uh, capabilities we're trying to offer the rest of the students. Oh, wow. And, you know, the students don't think about it. They might not even know they have a hotspot going. You know, their if their phone is active, it may be a hotspot. And uh, it's caused some issues and some using some other tech, excuse me, some other technologies. Uh, but is that I mean, something that you can, a whole lot of things. is that something you can easily diagnose? Like, hey, you know, this is the issue. And can you no. can you triangulate it like the student you know the issue is in row row seven? 
I can tell you what room it's in, okay. generally. Or yeah. our network engineers. I know we can't tell you what room it is. We can figure it out. Now, they can tell me the uh, IP and the MAC address of the device that's doing it. And, okay. Uh, we, you know, if if they're if it's someone that's actually logged on to our to our network with another device and they're connected to it, we can tell you who it is. Oh wow! Okay. They, they, but, have, they have to turn on the hidden cameras to take a look and see who. Oh, it is. very nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told you we don't hide our cameras. We send photographers into the rooms. So. Yeah, that's that's Harvard. Uh, Greg, yeah. you have uh, you have more than one occasion. Uh, spun yarns of the multiple um, fiefdoms of IT departments at UCLA. So let's talk about Internet of Things and how that's going to work uh, in a situation like that where you do, in in all seriousness, UCLA does have several different IT departments. Uh, So how is that going to work uh, going across campus? I, first, I was going to say there with with Ernie talking about the the network screens. I I think that's uh, that that's pretty useful. Although what we really need is the screen that can report back to us when the professor has written on it with the uh, permanent marker. Give them time; it will. <laughs> that's the feedback that we need. And it'll be it, uh, all it will be is it'll be an audible scream. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm being written on. <laughs> Yeah, we're just, we're just moving it from uh, the tech walking into the room to the, the yes. tech monitoring it in the uh, in in control of some sort, right? Yeah. Oh, the Internet of Things. Um, yeah, here we we finally seem to have a buy-in that we should have Wi-Fi in all of the classrooms. So, um, Internet of Things is not high on many radars around here. Um, fascinating stuff i'm not quite sure what it's going to mean for us long term in higher ed but um certainly everything is going to be networked but what that's going to look like i don't know All right. uh mike at ithaca is this is this an issue for you guys are you is this on your radar or is it just not a, a non-starter yeah it's a big hot topic at the moment we hired a new um cio maybe four months ago three months ago and uh we're also in the process of uh, upgrading our wireless network. So he's he's working with the uh, assumption that he wants to be able to support seven devices per student. Wow. In the future. Yeah. Um, We're at three. <laughs> yeah. In the beginning of the project, it was it was at four. And um, when he came in, he said, that's great for now, but uh, let's look to the future here. And, you know, when, when you start thinking about all the devices that students are going to have, um, you start approaching uh, high numbers. So it's huge on our campus right now. We're right in the middle of this up, big upgrade. Um, and uh, and I was actually reading an article that Cisco was estimating by 2020 to have 50 billion devices, double what yeah. this what I was talking about. So, which they're the ones making the networking equipment. So I'm sure they, you know, want to uh, boost that number up a bit. But um, but it's such an unknown. I mean, if they can estimate that many, it's who knows how many devices are going to be connected here. So. Okay, let's do a quick poll because five kind of. I mean, I've got three that I can think of right now. Um, yeah. I do a quick poll, Mike. How many wireless devices? I guess if you walk, if you're a student, how many wireless devices are you going to want to connect? We were. We originally were looking at. Okay, they're going to have a phone. They might have a tablet. Yeah. Uh, and a laptop, and then right. you know. Give it one extra. So let's go with four. That yeah. was the beginning of this wireless upgrade project. Uh, that was the assumption. All right. So, but but you personally, how many do you have? Like, 
Do you have the tablet and the phone and the and the computer? I do. I have all three. Yeah. Okay, so. uh, Mr. Brown, you don't have anything because you're a luddite. <laughs> Actually, I've got uh, I've got two phones, a tablet, a uh, two phones. Uh, yeah, I'm switching one though. I can kind of pad my number there temporarily. Oh, good night. Um. And a laptop, and have a wireless access point at home. And so there's five. You you are the five. Wireless. Uh, actually, have a wireless uh, cable receiver out in the garage. Holy cow! Mm-hmm. All right, and then Ernie, <laughs> you're. Movers, it's not cable. It's it's, well, it's the same. It's it's AT and T's version. Yeah, just yeah. Don't, don't say that to anybody that works for AT and T. Okay. Uh, and Ernie, it's how many do you have? I carry three. I've got a laptop, I've got a tablet, and a phone. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I've got, you know, depending on, on where I am, um, this year I spend an awful lot of time uh, going to different conferences. And, and when I do that, I, I bring a laptop to do AV Week and, and the different programs that we record. Uh, so I have a work laptop, and then I have a, a, a an AV Nation t- laptop, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, and so then I have four, but uh, I can't, I mean, unless we're talking like gaming systems and stuff like that. Um, I can't imagine what five, but again, who knows? There might be, there, there is some technology that none of us have thought of that's going to be invented in the next 10 years, probably. Google Glass. There yeah, we go. Glass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, iWatch. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Hey, AV Nation laptop. That must be where our raises went to this year, huh? That, that was like three years ago, but yes, that's where your raises went. <laughs> I will give you 100 times what I paid you last year, Gregory. <laughs> now, wait a second. Did you buy me a cup of coffee last year? So I'll buy you 100 cups you of coffee. Starbucks cards on the Starbucks way. cards. There we go. Uh, all right. This one kind of cra- caught my interest. It's from uh, our buddies over at Commercial Integrator. Uh, stra- the title is Strategies for Passing Higher Ed Tech Clients uh, Mass Notification Tests. Uh, so since you are all our higher ed clients of some sort, uh, I wanted to kind of pick your brains. Um, Mike, we'll start with you from Ithaca College's standpoint. Uh, what are you looking for when it comes to mass notification uh, systems? I mean, what, what is it that, that you guys need to have and then maybe one or two I would love to have things? Yeah, um, right now we rely on the um, outdoor uh, speaker system on campus. Um, we have uh, text messaging. Yes. <laughs> we have the... Uh, uh, text messaging, um, a uh, and then uh, email system. Um, we're looking to integrate it into a digital signage network on campus. Um, so that's kind of the next item that we're going to be integrating. Um, but that's really what we're using right now. All right, uh, Mr. Uh, Brown. Besides the voice of God, what um, what sort of mass notification things do you guys need? We do, well, what we do is we do emails and texts. I'm not sure what we need. I'm, I'm not sure how well the ours and many of these other systems work. To be honest, um, really, a lot of them sort of reek of uh, administrative uh, CYA, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is an area that is that is ripe for a standard of some sort. Of of uh, uh, um, a, some sort of a performance standard of you know how I don't know how you would do this you know how you would figure out you know what percentage of your student body you reach or, you know how fast or something like that it, it's kind of a 
probably a pretty squirrely area to try and get a standard uh, wrapped around, but um, I think it's an area that really, really needs something like that because I, I, I don't have a lot of confidence. I mean, a lot of people are doing them. I'm not convinced a lot of people are doing them real effectively. Well, and the, the problem with that is this, right? So how do you, how do you test that? Uh, there was a story a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, Chuck Wilson I'm just from the problem. I, I yeah. don't have an answer. <laughs> uh, Chuck Wilson uh, from the NSCA. T- we tweeted the story. Unfortunately, it was a what was it was a K twelve school that unfortunately didn't let anyone know that they were testing this system mm. uh, and did the test <laughs> and freaked a whole lot of people out. A, a move that has career limiting written all yeah, over. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Uh, but but you know to Greg's point, how do you know? I mean, there. I mean, certainly there is someone much smarter than at least me, you know, that has a way to determine how many people it's reached, right, or or, or whether or not that it's being heard or seen or at least you know acknowledged without testing it and freaking out, you know, an entire town of of parents. Um, I don't know, but yeah, that was an, an interesting one. It's like when they they accidentally set off the uh, the emergency sirens at the at the nuclear power plant about you know down in Orange County a number of years ago. That's the way to alarm a lot of people oh, really yes. fast. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we we have a number of those around, not directly around here, but just across the state. And yeah, uh, Ernie, from you guys' standpoint, mass notification. Uh, what are you looking for? Well, well, we do. I mean, ours is very similar to what Mike said. We have uh, the outdoor paging. We have uh, text messaging, uh, and uh, trying to get it tied into our digital signage system, which is minimal anyway. Uh, we also have overhead uh, speakers throughout all of our education buildings uh, that are all tied into the, to the police station. Uh, well, to not to our police station power. Uh, notification group that's uh, targeted by our police station. Um, but we do make announcements to our neighborhood when we test once a quarter uh, our outdoor sirens and notices, notifications, but they all the neighborhoods uh, in the area get uh, flyers at their door as well as they get copies of the schedules, which tells me, you know, if you want to bring a gun onto campus and start shooting up, people you do it at noon on Wednesday the second uh, Wednesday of the first month of the quarter and because all the signs tell people to ignore the the, the sirens at that time so uh, you know it, it's like Greg said you know the the siren goes off what do you do and, you know I've always thought you know when growing up you know what if on Monday at noon is when <laughs> Russia decides to bomb us exactly you know, <laughs> or, or you know, you know, here in the Midwest, and er- Ernie probably knows yeah. this. We we tornadoes. test, yeah, we test the tornadoes the first Tuesday of every month. Well, what happens yeah. if we have a tornado the first Tuesday of the month? So, yeah, tornadoes, Greg, are big giant funnel clouds that I've, spin. I've, I've heard of them actually. Yeah. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've heard of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I've never actually seen them. You know, we just have earthquakes up here. All right. By the way, your your yeah. video went bye bye again. So you, you know, I'm. I think it's I've your new office. Having... Yes, is that yeah. what it is? Yes. <laughs> I, I don't get so an internet connection. I, you know, I had to fight for the internet connection. And it's actually just two squirrels yeah. running around in circles. So, All right. We'll, we'll, we'll... Take your pad offline and we'll have it back. Yeah, there you go. 
Um, all right. Well, it's a good thing we're at, at the at the end here. We'll, we'll do one more story and uh, we'll move on. Uh, one thing that's been interesting for me, I, a year ago now, I was I was still a tech manager uh, at, a, at a community college just outside St. Louis. Now I'm in, more into the service providing. I, I run a company called uh, Innovad. We're independent programmer and designer. So Apex is interesting to me now. It's the audiovisual uh, provider of excellence uh, certification from Infocom. What I, I, the reason I wanted to bring this up is uh, they announced it at Infocom 2014 this year in June. Uh, the first uh, integrator to receive this uh, is actually just up the road from me in, in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, uh, called ZDI. Part of the certification process is interviewing your clients. So uh, actually, Ernie is one of my clients. This is going to be a dangerous question. Um, first of all, Ernie, how open will, would you be uh, to Infocom? Now, you all three are involved in Infocom, and it, it, you, so you have relationships already with Infocom. Um, so let, but let's pretend that you don't, right? Let's, let's just kind of, you, you, you know Infocom cursory, or you go to the show, or what have you. Uh, let's pretend that you and, and Greg haven't been, you know, uh, chairs of the Technology Managers Council. Um, how open would you be, and, and, and what would you tell them? Well, as far as the openness, I would start out with questions, you know, about uh, any legal liability about what I say. And, yeah. you know, can the company come back? That would be the first thing that come to my mind, uh, which uh, is really, I guess, a, a st- sad reflection on our uh, environment right now. But that's that's be the first thing I thought. But if if I knew that, you know, what I said was uh, protected and that I would not be held liable or for hurting someone's business or anything like that, uh, I would be open and honest with them. I would let them know. Um, on the other side of this, I like the fact that it's not just how many people do you have that were able to pass the CTS exam that determines what level you are. It's yeah. you know, how good a job are you doing for your clients out there? Because I've worked with some people who had their whatever jewel of the month it was or precious metal, but they, you know, the people that I got to deal with in the company, we did not know AV. Yeah. Would um, would confidenti- confidentiality be a factor for you? Like if if you know if you knew that that either they weren't the, the your your provider was not going to hear the words that you're saying and attribute them to you, or does that matter? Uh, that would matter to some extent. I would want you know it to be confidential. Uh, I would hate to find out that I was the only one that was interviewed and the company knew that. Yeah. Uh, but I've you know, if if I'm part of a big poll, especially, and they tell me that it's anonymous, I will be very forthcoming. Okay. All right, uh, Mike. From your standpoint, how uh, how open and honest are you, are you going to be if you get picked to uh, to help someone's Apex certification? <laughs> I would be pretty honest. Um, I think, yeah, confidentiality. I think would be important, but um, I like the fact that they're they're doing these interviews because. Um, like Ernie was saying, you know, you don't just pay your money and get a few certifications and you get your your badge because um, there's a lot of certifications out there for companies that are like that. They pay their money and they got it and yeah. it doesn't hold much weight. So I like it. I, I think it's a good idea. Um, looking forward to seeing more companies taking part in it. I wonder if it's um, if companies might see it as too difficult of a process for not enough payout. 
possibly. Maybe they don't uh, think they're going to get enough business by getting the certification, all the work they have to well, put into it. So, I, Mike, I think that's up to us. Uh, and the, if we, as their customers, require it on bids or yeah. give them additional uh, points towards uh, a uh, bid contract or uh, an, on an RFI uh, or, an, you know, whatever, uh, we tell them, you know, what is your level? How many points do you have? Uh, it ranks right up there with uh, checking their references. Yeah. Basically, it just gives yeah. us another reference point. But uh, like like we were saying, you have to be. We have to be honest when we evaluate them, and then we have to tell them that we're going to use those evaluations to determine or use the score that they got because of those evaluations to determine if they get to do business somewhere else. I wonder how long it'll take to have enough companies take part in this certification to be able to require it. You know, we have a, a, I don't know, five-year period where everybody needs to get this certification or we'll see well, how that, quickly you know, people embrace it. That's a good point. I was actually going to ask that very well, question because some of this has to do with, goes back to Infocom, right? God right. love them, but Ernie's right. You know, the, the jewel of the month, the precious metal, uh, metal of the month, they need to, to stick with this for a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, what I have done in the past to, to encourage it is, you know, we may not require it, but we give you extra points towards the final score. So if there's only one person in the market, if one person in your market gets it or one person on the bid gets it, they've got a good shot at winning the bid solely based on that. The, the other uh, providers in your market should uh, start seeking it. Mm. I, I hope. Can you guys still hear me? No, yeah, I can hear you. Yes. Okay. I'm I'm still here in in voice, if not, <laughs> if if not, you know, my my dashing good looks. Um, and and I've got about like three things on my desktop which are frozen at this point, so I'm not going to touch anything because I, everything is going to come crashing down any minute. Um, I I hope this is you know speaking again to Infocom, you know. God love them, but um, I, I really hope this is something that they they take the time, yes, to not only stick with, but to look at going down the road and and tweak as necessary to make this something worthwhile. I'm I'm concerned that you know so many of these projects when they go bad, they turn into the never getting to the done done you know they're mostly done but you're chasing those annoying little things and you're you're begging or pleading or threatening them to come back to to fix sort of things yeah. little things and i i really hope that um you know when they're sending out these reviews or trying to get feedback from people you know if they are in the middle of you know trying to get something out of these companies that that wasn't spelled out ahead of time that's a very awkward position to be in, yeah. and um, and yeah, I'm I'm kind of wondering how this is also going to on on the front end get the momentum where people people know about it and sponsor it and or and 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 follow it and start using it and um, request it. Yeah, yeah, because you know we we've yeah. we've certainly had the discussion here in these higher ed circles how most of the people above us have no freaking idea who Infocom is whatsoever and right. they're, they're going to start using this standard well you know we can champion that to to a certain extent but 
you know, I think the reality is, you know, a lot of the a lot of the people on the on the business side of things, the last thing they want to do is actually start listening to us. Yeah. Well, no, they do. And here, here's the other thing to, to Mike's point. It's a boatload of work. I mean, it's I, we've, I've, yes, I've got it our, our team looking at it. Holy cow. It's a lot of work. And so it's, it's it, some of it is best practices, which which people should start, start be, be doing anyway. Uh, but the other part is is getting your client list and, and and getting folks to agree to talk to Infocom, right? Um, yeah. It's the other part. Not, not only that, but I wonder what kind of staff Infocom has working on it. How quick are they going to be yeah. processing these for companies? Um, is there going to be a big backlog? Because it seems like it takes a lot of time to do all these interviews and go through this process on Infocom's end too. So yeah, I'd be interested if, if any of you get picked. Let me know because that, that that's kind of interesting. I'm kind of interested from that aspect of 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 how the interview process uh, takes place. So yeah. now, Greg, the way I read through it the other day, but uh, do you send Infocom your client list? Or yes, so you you provide. So part of the part of the process is uh, you you do the paperwork and you provide them um, a, a list of clients, right? Um, that you've done work with recently, and, and within I think there's a time, there's a time frame. Uh, I don't right. recall it off the top of my head, but there's a time frame you that tell them everyone that you worked with. I don't know that. I, I don't know that the answer off the top of my head. So you an ugly little loophole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you only turn in the ones that everything worked great on, yeah, then that that's going to skew it. Uh, so well, and the other part is. Group the other part is is some of them may not some people may not be open to it right so right. so maybe the ones that you screwed up on they're like no I don't want to tell anybody how badly you did so no no thanks so yeah there was a group working with uh, the ISO 9000 side of this you know uh, on error free complete completed projects uh, several years ago and they got into kind of a snit with some of the infocom folks because they were taking a different path. But they were looking at, uh, and I think they actually had uh, an AV9000 certification that you could get. Uh, and, you know, that is through an international accrediting body as opposed uh, through the through an industry organization. Yeah. Um, so it, it's independent. And the, 9, 000, the ISO 9000 standard is known by every executive, you know, every CEO and uh, COO on, the, on the planet. They're familiar with, with what that means and what it takes to achieve it and to maintain it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right. Well, on that note, uh, we're going to call it a, uh, a show for December. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. Mike sure. Tomei from Ithaca, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, where can here. people find you and or Ithaca College? Yep. So um, Ithaca, I-T-H-A-C-A dot E-D-U is uh, the school. And uh, I can be found on LinkedIn, probably the best place for me. All right. Uh, Greg Brown, um, for, you know, just tell people where to find you and stuff. Uh, LinkedIn or um, um, what's the Tweety thing? Twitter. Twitter. And um, At AV Greg. Yes. At, thank you. Thanks for – I'm glad somebody remembers my handle. Um, and let's see. Infocom Voices blog and uh, and and soon the long-awaited AV Nation blog. When I don't even think I've seen it yet. So whenever you want to say I, it. Yeah, I know. By the I way, know. the other day was Mr. Greg Brown's birthday. So happy twenty-first birthday. 
Happy birthday, Greg. Happy birthday. Thank you. That That's exactly the sort of rumor I would like to start. <laughs> yeah. Greg, Greg just turned 21, so he's legal in California. There there we go. And I, I figured yeah. out the problem with my computer. Our our network is obviously not waterproof. It's raining outside. So oh, well, there you go. That's, that's obviously the problem. Because well, you always hardly ever get rain. So, uh, Ernie Bailey from UAMS. Thank you, sir. Yes, uh, that's UAMS.edu. Uh, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Okay. So. All right, very good. It um, never rains in Southern California. I know, you poor thing. You'll probably send you guys home early, honestly. you know. Actually, I drove in today, so it's kind of whenever I feel like leaving to a certain extent. Jeez, you poor. <laughs> All right. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Don't, don't follow me on Twitter. I generally, at this point in the season, am complaining about the Bears. Uh, and their lack of playing, um, but uh, go to web. Uh, Are they the playing? Yes, they still play. <laughs> they, they they at least attempt to. Uh, this it must be nice to have to live in a city with a professional football. Hey, team. you know what? You can you're going to have one in a couple weeks anyway. So it doesn't matter. What are you talking about? That's a whole that's a whole another discussion about the Rams and where they're going. Um, uh, but go by the website. Let's talk hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, go by the website if you would, please. <laughs> avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Uh, you can find this program and a host of others. A ton of, of people have, have jumped on and started writing stuff for us. Uh, Gina Sands just uh, posted a brand new one. Um, Greg Brown has been hinting at one for months and months, um, but other folks are as well. So uh, some pretty great stuff. Uh, new shows as well. Um, and, and if you get a chance and if, and if you... Hear this within the next week, and uh, you want to help us uh, help us send three or four folks to uh, to ISE Integrated Systems Europe. Uh, go by the website. There's a, a Kickstarter there. So where 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 do we stand? Uh, Fifty eight hundred as of right now. Okay. So just that close. So uh, we're trying to get ten grand because that'll help send three folks uh, from Aviation Nation to go cover uh, the show over in Amsterdam. Uh, it's the world's largest AV show, uh, AV trade show. So. Uh, some pretty great stuff. So some really great people have, have given already. Um, and uh, at this point, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where there's a lot of people supporting this, and I want to make it for them, right? Because <laughs> it, it would be really great to have all these folks um, and, and their commitment uh, to pay off. So we'll see. It, uh, it ends next Monday or next Tuesday. So, uh, But, yeah, go by there if you would, please. Aviation.tv, aviation.tv. Thanks so much for listening and watching this Happy Ed Talk.